0: Y'all can be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we just uh, just come before you, God, just humbled. Um, God, I'm so thankful that we just all get to come together and worship you this morning. Um, and Lord, we just thank you, uh, God, just for all the truths that we have just sang, God, that we thank you so much that, Lord, you sent your son into this world, um, God, to pay it all. And Lord, I just thank you so much for that because, God, we deserved have to pay that price, but Lord, we just thank you so much for the love that you've had for us, and Lord, that you would send your son to die on the cross while we were still sinners, Lord, and the fact that we had rebelled against, against you, and Lord, that we just chose our own way, but God, that you just still loved us, and Lord, I just thank you for that, Lord, I thank you for allowing us to see that, Lord, saving us. And Lord, just allowing us to be undone by the mercy that you've shown us. So Lord, I just pray that just as we just recognize that truth, God, in just everything that you have done, Lord, that that would just be our all in all. Lord, that it would be the rock that we build our, uh, our lives on, that it would be our firm foundation. Lord, that as we just approach you each and every day, that we would just remember the gospel, that we would preach it to ourselves, and God, that it would just leave us in only being able to say hallelujah for everything that you've done. God, in every single circumstance, God, as we uh, come together, Lord, we recognize that there's some that, that aren't with us. We recognize that there's some of us, or that are facing trials that are in a season. God, we recognize that some are, rec- um, are in present trials that are with them daily. God, we recognize that some come grieving this morning, some come that are hurting, some that are coming with sickness. God, I just pray that just this morning, that in every single situation with those that are going through seasons, those that are going through present trials, those that are grieving, those that are in sickness, Lord, that you would just, that Jesus would just be there all in all. Lord, I pray for for every single one of us, God, that we would just come around our brothers and sisters that are hurting, God, and that we would just bear that burden with them, that we would point them to you. Lord, we just thank you, um, God, just for this church. God, I thank you for just everybody that's in it. Lord, I thank you for those that have encouraged me, that have encouraged my family. Uh, Lord, and just the things that we've all walked through, God, I thank you that you've given us the body of Christ that you have adopted us. And Lord, that we're all able to do this together. And so, Lord, I just uh, just pray, Lord, we just thank you for that. And Lord, we just pray that you would just continue to bring people into that. God, as I think about our community, God, my heart has just been burdened. Uh, Lord, just for the loss that are in our community. Lord, those that aren't here, that are still inside this world, that are grieving without hope. God, that those that are going through the trials of this world that don't have the blessed hope that we get to have. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we sing these songs and we are reminded of these truths that we are undone by the mercy of Jesus, that, Lord, that we long to see others come to know you. And, Lord, that we would just want to see the people that we are at work with, God, that we are at the park with, that we are at school with, that we are on sports teams with, Lord, that every single person that we would see, that we would understand that it's a soul. And, Lord, that we would just long to just see people saved in our community. And, God, I just pray for, um, Lord, just even the events that we have coming up where we're inviting people in from the community into our church just to love them well and just to point them to you. God, I pray that you would draw people in. Lord, I pray that that the people that you draw in, Lord, that they would see you and that you would reveal yourself to them. And, Lord, I just pray for today. God, as we just set this day aside apart for you, Lord, I pray for the children's ministry this morning, that God, as we, uh, as they're taught the word, God, that it would just indwell their hearts, that it would dwell in them richly. God, I pray for our youth um, tonight as we meet together and as we just look to the truth of your word. And God, how precious it is and how we should be building our lives on it. And Lord, just not listening to the world that wants to just distract us and, and bring us away from it. God, that you would open the eyes of our youth, that even now, Lord, that it would just, be a spot where they can build their lives on your truth and Lord not be swayed and Lord I just pray for even this morning God that as we open up Proverbs and Lord as we look to you as the good counselor and as you speak through Tim God just open our eyes open our hearts God help us to see the areas where we're not following you faithfully help us to see the areas of our lives where we um, where we try to hide it from you God that you would just expose it bring it to the light Lord, that you would just allow us just to see the life abundant that you call us to, not in the darkness but in the light, that we would walk as children of the light. And so, Lord, we just love you, God, and I thank you so much for this day, for it is one that you have made. And, Lord, that we would just rejoice and be glad in it. And so, Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, Kids, I'm going to ask you to sit tight for a minute and stay in the service for just a few minutes for our next part. I'm going to ask the two families that are participating in the baby dedication this morning to come forward, the Reed family and the Owens family. And as they make their way up here, I'm going to tell you why we do this. Um, It is important, an important doctrine in Scripture, that the care and the spirit, We're going to go with this. Okay. The, um, the care and spiritual growth of a child is entrusted to the parents. Y'all can make your way this way. And so, what we do with young parents and young children is they come before the church and they make some commitments to the church. And you, as a church, then respond and make some commitments to these families and these children. So, I'll introduce you to the families and the kids first, and then we'll talk about. Uh, what we're actually going to say to each other here publicly this morning. This is Miss Stella Anna Rose Reed with her parents uh, Miles and Hannah Reed and um, they've got some additional guests here this morning. Um, no siblings yet, but soon um, there's going to be a baby brother in the picture as uh, Hannah is expecting a number two in September. So that's exciting. We'll see them up here again pretty soon. But um, Stella's grandparents are here, um, Thomas and Teresa Reed, Miles's parents, um, uh, and Aunt Aunt Scarlett, Hannah's parents, uh, Mandy and Kelvin Locke, as well as an uncle, Stella's uncle, uh, Sawyer. And uh, they have chosen to share with us and to pray over Stella this morning, Psalm 127, verses 3 and 4. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Okay, next over here we have Miss Ainsley Owens with parents uh, Josh and Rachel Owens and big brother Derek over here and uh, joining uh, Miss Ainsley. She's got some extended family here as well. Uh, Rachel's parents, Jim and Sherry, are here as well as some aunts and uncles on Rachel's side. And Josh has some family that is watching online this morning. And uh, over Ainsley, uh, Josh and Rachel have chosen two verses, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. In Deuteronomy 31.8, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Okay, now these parents are going to answer two questions with an affirmative I will as they make a commitment in front of God and in front of the the assembled congregation to raise their children and point them towards Jesus. Not that the salvation of the children depends upon the parents. They all need to be saved by Christ. But parents have a great responsibility in pointing their children towards Christ, showing them the way to follow Christ, and sharing the gospel with them, connecting them with a local church in the context of relationship where they can hear and respond to the gospel. So the parents are going to make two commitments publicly in front of you all, but then you all will respond with a couple of commitments to the parents and the children. So simply, we'll start with the parents. We've got two questions. So I'm going to read you the question. And then, when I'm done reading, you four will just simultaneously respond with, we will. Okay? Number one, parents, will you commit to raise your children in a way that encourages them to know God and love him with all their heart, soul, and might? Parents, will you commit to partner with this body of believers by encouraging your children to engagement with other believers for teaching, encouragement, and service? Okay, now, two questions for you, church. Church, will you commit to these parents to pray for them, encourage them, mentor them, and equip them as they seek to fulfill these commitments to their children? Church, will you commit to these children to pray for them, encourage them, mentor them, and equip them to know God, love Him, and follow them? Good. Then, Since we've made the commitments, let me pray for Stella and for Ainsley. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to join with these families this morning, and I praise you for the commitment from these parents. Father, for your goodness to each of these families to bring them to this point, ready to commit themselves and their children before you in front of the church, and I do praise you for Stella's life, and I praise you for the sweet heritage that is being built in the Reed family, As the scriptures does say, that children are a heritage from the Lord and a reward from you, God. And so now, as Miles and Hannah um, have received the benefit of not just one gift from you in Stella, but now the sweet gift of another baby coming soon this fall, God, we pray for your protection and we pray for your blessing. For Stella, we pray that she would um, grow to know you, love you, and honor you with her life. And that Miles and Hannah would exercise great wisdom in directing her in that path. And Father, that you would give them encouragers, give them those around them in their family and in the church that would help them know how to raise up Stella in the way that she would go so that as she is older, she would continue in that path and follow you and serve you. May Stella respond to the gospel and be saved by you, Jesus. We pray for Miles and Hannah as they invest in her and love her well. And we praise you for the life of Stella and for the coming life of uh, the new baby as well. And Father, for Ainsley and for, for Josh and for Rachel, God, we praise you for this sweet family. We praise you for Derek and his um, love as big brother um, for Ainsley as well. And God, we pray that Derek would continue to love her well would um, show her a good example of a loving son and a loving follower of you, we pray that Ainsley would respond to the gospel, would know you, love you, and serve you with her life. And Father, that she would, that this Ephesians 4.32 would be true of her, that she would be kind, tenderhearted, driven by forgiveness because of the, the depths from which you have forgiven her. As Father, it's hard to imagine seeing these sweet little girls up here, but we know that they are sinners as well, and they need your forgiveness. So, Father, may they both be ambassadors of you, um, seeking to forgive others um, in your name. And may Ainsley always remember, and may the whole Owens family remember, that they need, need not fear, because you go before them. You are with them. And, Father, you will never leave them nor forsake them so they do not need to be in fear or dismay. So God, we pray that you would encourage this family with these words. So Father, for Miss Ainsley, Caroline Owens, and Miss Stella, Anna Rose Reed, we praise you, we thank you for their parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles that are here this morning that will love and support them from this day forward. Bless these two little girls and bless their families in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Y'all can be seated. Okay, kids, you can now be dismissed to your time of worship upstairs. Okay, thanks everybody for your patience with that. Um, we'll do it this way today. A few announcements for you in the life of the church. First, for members, um, you should have by now um, gotten your ballot from the back table. If you have not, you can interrupt me right now and walk back there and get it because it's due at noon tomorrow. Um, and there is a, a box back there on the table to, to respond, to put these. You, you don't have to put the envelope back in there, but you. Take the envelope that is um, one envelope per family with a ballot for every um, member in the family over 16 years of age. Take the ballots, put them into the the deposit box uh, back there. Please um, do that. It's important as we elect our leaders um, within our local church. Next Sunday evening is this Family Matters seminar that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Um, It will be Sunday evening in the room behind me. At 530, as we will um, have some legal counsel that will share with us just advice on how to walk through these difficult decisions of, of wills and, and how to, uh, and this is particularly focused on young family, family with, with children, with minors in the home right now. Um, but if you're of an older age or you want information to share with your adult children and things like that, you're, you're welcome to join us for it as well. We want this to be an outreach event. And when we say we want it to be an outreach event, we want it to be an event that serves our community, not just our church body. So please invite others to this. Um, As I say, we want to invite others. Um, We want other families with young children to come and know that their kids are going to be well taken care of by our kids' ministry. But as I say that, um, our hope is that we have a lot of people that are not normally here, and that they bring kids that are not normally here. So it would be helpful if you know of a young family that is coming that is not a normal family in our church, let, let Rika know so we can plan. There is also an, um, an online registration form for this. It's not required, but it is very helpful because the, the, only, the only reason we have the online registration form is so that we know how many kids to prepare for for that evening. That's really our only concern there. People, it's a free event. People don't have to register to come. But the better idea we can have of what kids are going to be here, that, that's just going to serve everybody better. Um, I also want you to know that we've been praying about this Romania trip that will be happening end of June and into July. We've had one meeting about it already, but for anyone that was unable to attend the first meeting, there is a second meeting um, today at 4 p.m. If you came to the first one, you do not have to come to the second one, but if you missed the first one and are at all interested in going on this trip, today at 4 o'clock. Um, we have some families that are interested in going. We have some families that are interested in going together, a father with a child or an adult sibling with a, with a, young, a, a younger teenage sibling. Um, that's a cool thing. I, I'd actually really encourage that if any of you would want to consider signing on for this trip. Come to the informational meeting today at 4. Talk to Tom Perry about your interests. It is going to be a fantastic trip, and uh, we believe that God's going to use this team in a really mighty way. Um, then also wanted to let you know that we have been continuing to um, raise funds for the outreach opportunity in Turkey through the Jesus Film. A few weeks ago, we had a representative, Bill Wolf, from the Jesus Film come and share with us about how God is using this evangelistic movie in countries all around the world. In dark places all around, God is really uh, bringing people to himself and producing fruit through this resource and in Turkey, where there were earthquakes earlier this year that have decimated much of the, the nation and some of the larger cities, uh, thousands, tens of thousands of people have lost their lives in this, and in a, in, a, in a setting in which there is great heartache, there's an opportunity also for God to bring the comfort, and so um, we'd encourage you to prayerfully give towards that, and we will, as we receive communion next Sunday, take up an offering Um, for that that project as well in lieu of the normal Samaritan offering. So now I want to turn with, I want to direct you to Proverbs chapter 1, where we'll continue our series looking at how we pursue wisdom through this ancient book of wisdom. Proverbs 1 verses 8 through 33 is where we will be this morning. This morning we get to choose between two paths. I remember as a child, my um, parents got me into reading um, through a couple of different avenues. One was, my, my, you know, my mother-in-law actually yesterday took my girls to the library, and they came home with a bunch of stuff, and I thought, when are you going to find all that time to read all of those books? Because they don't actually read that often, but we'll see about that. But I remember as a child, I would do the same thing. My parents would take me to the library, and I'd come home with all these books that I thought I was going to read because they had, like, baseball players on the front of the book, and they had, I got all these like biographies of famous baseball players, and that's what I wanted to do. I had an idea that I wanted to read those. Do you want me to, do you think we can do it? We're going to try it again? Okay. Um, we're going to try this again, but there were two sources of reading that I would pursue in my early educational career, and one was those baseball biographies. Number two was the choose your own adventure books. Does anybody remember those? If you are of a certain age, then you read those choose-your-own-adventure books, and they were awesome. Okay, so think about those books for a second. Now I got this all tangled. Did you turn it on? I didn't turn it on. Hey, I'm on. Look at there. Okay, I forgot how to turn it on for a second and got it all tangled. Thank you, David. Okay, so you had time to figure out what a choose-your-own-adventure book was if you didn't know what it was. I assume you Googled it or you talked to your neighbor. But there were these books that they would give you, and you could essentially make a decision as you were reading a book. And if you chose to walk through door number one, then you would turn to page 15. And if you chose to walk through door number two, you would turn to page 22. And there were all of these different series of decisions you could make to where they had this large number of potential outcomes within this book as you would just weave through this difficult scenario and have to continually choose and make decisions. There were some that would have, um, I, I looked it up this week, and I, I don't remember any of the books except for one. There was one that was like an undersea journey and I saw the cover when I Googled it this week, and I thought, I read that book. And it said on it there were 42 possible outcomes to the story. That's how complex they were as you could go through and choose different scenarios and get through the path of life. So there's this famous poem about choosing the road less traveled. And there's Robert Frost, The two roads diverged and I chose the one less traveled by. That's a really powerful, insightful poem thought, and statement. And that's what Proverbs 1 is going to show us. There are two different paths to choose in life. But actually, the Choose Your Own Adventure books provide for me a really helpful illustration because it's a little bit more, sim- more complicated. It's not as simple as you choose once between this road and that road. There's a whole series of regular decisions that go into the life of wisdom. Life is so complex that you cannot just decide upon high school graduation, I'm either going to be a Christian and follow this road, or I'm going to not be a Christian and follow this road. No. There's there's micro decisions every single day that you make that are going to help you continue on the road of wisdom, of honoring Christ, or are going to completely derail your life and your pursuits. And sometimes, often... What happens is you make these micro decisions, these little decisions that get you off trajectory just a little bit, and you look up later and you think, boy, I remember that time when I was following Christ, when I was doing the right thing, when I was living a life of wisdom, but then I made this decision on on my social environment. I made this decision on my career and my workplace. I made this decision on the the person I was dating or my spouse. And and little by little, I got off the track just a little bit, just 1% off the track over the long term. And you recognize all of a sudden now my life is not what I thought it would be. Now my life is not the life of wisdom. Proverbs gives us two significant, two opposite scenarios in chapter 1. And we're going to talk about it. But I want you to see that the reason that Proverbs is not just one or two chapters, but is 31 chapters, is because every time we talk about two paths, I want you to remember and recognize that those paths are paths that you can walk off of anytime. You can, therefore, this morning, if you are going down the wrong path, it's not too late to course correct and to pursue wisdom instead. But also, if you're walking a path of wisdom at one stage in life, don't just assume that because you're making good decisions and receiving good re- results from your decision, that your life, too, cannot be derailed by poor decision-making, by just some small mistakes along the way. So we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8-33, through 33, and be reminded of this pursuit of wisdom that we're on together. We'll start out in verse 8. Hear, my son your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So here, there's, in just these two verses is where we'll start to redefine for us wisdom and redefine for us what a proverb is. Uh, Solomon, the author of this portion, is giving direction to his son, and he is telling the son Hear your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. And the teaching in question here are proverbs. So let's ask the question, what is a proverb? It's up there on the screen. Short practical statement is one way to understand it. A simple statement that is generally true. Probabilities and not promises. And y'all, that is so important and it's going to become so much more important as you continue to read through it. I was talking to some people this week. Last week I challenged you, why don't you go ahead and read uh, chapters one through nine of the book of Proverbs, I found out there's some people in the church that do that already. They do a proverb a day. And so like for today, on the 19th of March, they would be reading Proverbs 19. And on the 31st of March, they'll read Proverbs 31. And on April 1st, they'll read Proverbs 1. And there's actually a couple ladies that texted me this week that said they do that together. And they, they text each other daily about the insights they receive from reading those. Great habit, great practice. So keep reading the Proverbs, and as you read them, though, see them as God is giving you probabilities. This is how life generally works. But there are, within the book of Proverbs, exceptions, because they're not promises. If you do this, then God must do this thing for you. That's not how the book of Proverbs works. It's a verbal picture of life, and I'll, I'll show you that in one of the particular statements today, how The author of Proverbs paints a picture for you and wants you to understand a real life scenario by, in this context of of chapter one here, he starts talking about birds and nets. And why, and it seems super random all of a sudden, that in the middle of this advice to his son, he starts talking about birds getting caught in nets. But those birds getting caught in the net is a verbal picture of real life that we can unpack together. So in verses 8 and 9, he gives the introduction to this section of chapter 1, and he says that wisdom, which is the father's instruction, the mother's teaching, that wisdom is like a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Right there, that's that verbal picture. He is painting a picture of what wisdom is like. And you know what the picture that he's painting, think about um, a few years ago, the Olympics um, where it was, might be 20 years ago, I don't know, it was like 2004. The Olympics went to Athens, and when they went to Athens, they, were, they did the Olympics the way they did in the ancient world, so that the winners received a garland around their head. That's what, it, that's what he means. In the ancient world, in physical competitions, you would receive a prize that was a garland around your head. And so, this is a prize for winning. So, the garland around your head is the winner's crown for winning an event, a competition. And then the pendant for your neck, y'all, that's your gold medal. Gold, silver, bronze is the way we do it in today's world. But in the ancient world, they put pendants around somebody's neck for winning a prize. So in verse 9 there, wisdom that comes from the father or comes from the mother is described in the same way as we would understand in the ancient Greek, um, in the early Olympics versus, and into today's Olympics, those are the prizes for those significant athletic competitions. So he's saying, you want to be rewarded, you want to be thought highly of, you want to be successful in life, then do what verse 8 says. Hear your father's instructions. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. It's important to note that all of Proverbs 1 through 9 is written from a particular person, Solomon. Solomon does not write all of the Proverbs, but he writes most of them. He writes the majority. He writes all of 1 through 9, though. And one through nine, he writes as sort of a discipleship curriculum, is the best way to understand it, a a life guide for his son. So he is trying to tutor, mentor his son through the pursuit of wisdom into early adulthood. And so that's why if you read chapters one through nine, you're going to hear the repetition 22 times, Solomon says, my son. He continually comes back to addressing his son throughout these chapters to remind us, and remind the son what he's talking about. He is lovingly directing his son towards the path of wisdom. But there's a wicked path in today's passage, and there's a wise path. And that's going to be very common all the way through the book of Proverbs. The wicked path today is the path of enticing sinners. The wise path is actually personified. There is a person that represents the wise path, and it is Lady wisdom, or the wise woman, is the way to describe this this figure in the book of Proverbs. But throughout the book of Proverbs, there is wisdom described to the young man as a woman who is wise, who is virtuous, who will help direct him in the right way. But also, often, sin, foolishness, wickedness is defined as a woman too. Now in this passage, we're introduced to a central figure in the book, Lady Wisdom, the wise woman, we're not introduced to the adulterous woman, the wicked woman yet. And it's actually maybe safer that we do it this way. Because some people read through the book of Proverbs and they're like, why is the girl always the bad one? Why is it always the adulterous woman that is tempting this guy into wickedness, into, into sin, into foolishness, whatever? You think, boy, why is Solomon just picking on, wom- on women in this book? Well, actually, it's because... Solomon is talking to a young man. And what are young men enticed by? Like he is personifying both wisdom and foolishness, both good and bad. And he is telling his son, choose. In the way that you have to discern and choose which woman you're going to spend time with, which woman you're going to pursue, he makes wisdom and folly or foolishness or wickedness, whatever you want to call this over here, he makes those, he paints the picture of those two choices as women that the young man would pursue. So Solomon's not against women. You should read his other books. He talks about that a lot. Solomon is, is not necessarily demeaning women in this book as much as he is practically speaking to a young man who is interested in women. And you're either going to choose the path of wisdom or choose the path of folly. But actually, the path described in this, folly is not described as a woman in chapter 1. Folly is described as a group of guys that are going to lead the young man in a negative direction. So well, let's look the wicked path, uh, verses 10 through 19, and then the wise path in verses 20 through 33. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, sorry, I just lost my place here. They say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for they run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of a bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So this is the wicked path, verses 12 through 19. These are the enticing Sinners. So let's look at this a little bit more carefully and see how Solomon is describing them. There's, there's really five ways. Okay, there's four on the screen right now. But, le- but let's look at these five ways that these enticing sinners are a negative example or negative effect on this young man. They take advantage of others. In verse 11, um, they are saying, come with us. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. These guys... They're super violent. They're talking about blood. They're talking about ambush. They're talking about taking advantage of other people. So the extremeness of this example may lead us to accidentally come to the conclusion, all oh, that ain't me. We might too quickly be like, well, yeah, I'm not going to lie in wait to ambush some innocent person and kill them and shed their blood. But don't let the extreme nature of this passage um, limit the application of this passage in the ways that... Let's just, just go with me as we go through here. So they are violently taking advantage of, the, of others. They are, in verse 16, running to evil. Their feet run to evil. They are violent as, they, hold, as they make haste to shed blood. In verse 17 and 18, this is that, that verbal picture of life. They set traps for themselves. Look at verse 17. It's kind of a weird verse. He's talking about these people that run to evil, that make haste to shed blood, and then all of a sudden he's like, you know, there's a bird, and there's a net, and it would be vain to spread a net in the sight of a bird. What's he trying to say there? He's trying to say that birds, which, so you know, birds are dumb, but birds are smart enough that if you stand in front of them and you spread a net right in front of them, they're not going to go into the net that you spread right in front of them. And when I say birds are dumb, I want to tell you a story here. Um, as it started to get warm, like it's cold now, but it was warm just a couple weeks ago. Y'all remember that, right? And it felt like we were like getting into spring. And there was this cardinal that showed up in our driveway. And it was a really pretty cardinal. We thought he was the coolest for like a day, because every time we would come in, we have four cars at our house, it's important. There's two that are in the garage, two that are in the driveway, um, and... And they loved my father-in-law Jerry's truck, that one cardinal. And every time we came home, that cardinal would be sitting on Jerry's mirror. And we were like, he just really likes that truck. He just likes to sit on that mirror. Well, then we recognized, no, that bird's stupid. That bird is fighting with the mirror. That bird is engaged in this epic battle for his own territory with a mirror. And so then we start to recognize, oh my goodness, that bird is a nuisance. Because it, it leaves stuff, you know? That's what birds do. It leaves stuff all over the mirror, all over the side. The, the door of Jerry's truck was just like covered. Because that bird would sit there all day and peck at itself. And there'd be like little micro scratches on the mirror. So then he's like, okay, well, I'm going to, anytime I'm home, he put bags over his mirrors when he parked in the, in the um, driveway. And then he went after Candy's car. And then I made the mistake of one time I pulled, I pulled my car out of the garage and parked it in the driveway, and he went after my car. And then I was like, well, this is nonsense. I'm putting it back in the garage. And then he found his way into the garage, and he started going after it, whichever car was in the garage. So then, any of the four cars at any time, he would find himself in one of the rearview mirrors. And Peck and attack and poop. It was was ridiculous. And so then I read this verse and I read, Solomon say, be smarter than a bird. And I'm like, how can you be dumber than that bird? (laughs) But the truth is that that is the way of the foolish. That the way of the foolish, they should see it coming. They should pay enough attention to recognize that they are sowing the seeds of their own destruction in their poor decisions. But they don't. And that's what sin does. And it's really easy for us to sit in the position of of judgment and say, those people, they need to pay attention to their lives. They need to be more careful. And yet, it is far easier than any of us would like to imagine for us to get wrapped into the same sort of mentality into the same greedy viewpoint, the same selfish viewpoint that brings us to that point where we are, like the sinners, like the foolish in this passage, lying in wait for their own blood, setting an ambush for their own lives. Look at verse 19. He concludes this passage this way. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So there's five descriptions of the enticing sinners. They take advantage of evil, or they take advantage of others. They run to evil. They're violent. They set traps for themselves. But what's the primary one? The primary one is that in verse 19, they're greedy for unjust gain. They don't trust God's way. They don't trust God's word. They don't trust God's standards. They want to find a better solution. Guys, go go back, go back to the very beginning. How did it all go wrong in the beginning? The deceiver, the serpent, Satan, he shows up and says, God's holding something back from you. You can do better than what God said. God's holding back, if you make your own decision, if you trust me, if you go off of, see, this is God's path over here, don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, but if you follow me down my path, you're gonna be just like God, Because God is holding back, and God's way is not best. And so out of that greed, out of that curiosity, came this decision that led to the spread of sin amongst all people. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, we all have those temptations, those moments, where we want just a little bit more. Where we want to to gain just a little bit more. A little bit more finances for, for the account, a little bit more protection for our family, a little bit more status among outsiders, a little bit more comfort in our life, a little bit more rest from the work of our hands, and that greed, that greed opens the door. That's why I say this is the primary problem, because this greed is what opens the door to all these other things. You don't go from righteous to lying in wait to kill other people in one day. You go from righteous to wanting a little bit more, and that path of greed, that path of self-provision, that path of arrogance, those little things open the door to get you off trajectory completely. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien illustrated this in *The Lord of the Rings* and *The Hobbit* with the character Gollum. Just a little bit of greed can corrupt, and and you. You look at the character of Gollum, and you think, boy, that, that guy got so evil in that book, in those movies, in the stories. But what Tolkien was trying to communicate in the character of Gollum is when you get so obsessed, so drawn in by one central idea, by the greed that you have, then you will be corrupted in a way to which you are unrecognizable to yourself or anyone around if that greed is not checked our flesh is stronger than any of us want to admit our propensity towards sin and towards following temptation is stronger than any of us want to admit paul in second corinthians says if anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest you fall those of us that are most confident in where we stand in our battle against sin and temptation, in our pursuit of wisdom, we need to be all that much more careful. So the alternative shows up in verse 20. In verse 20, it is wisdom personified as a woman that shows up. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple one, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes in like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge, it did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. So verse 20 introduces this woman to us, Lady Wisdom. But then all of a sudden, as she starts to speak, she, Lady Wisdom calls out to the young man in the streets. She says, follow me. Trust me. Don't follow that gang of enticing sinners over there. This is not Lady Wisdom versus the adulterous woman in, in this passage. This is Lady Wisdom versus a gang of enticing sinners. But it is a woman that is calling out in the street in verse 20 and 21. But as she speaks, it sounds like, because she is, it sounds like she's speaking for God. Look at what verse, verse 22 and following sounds like this is God now speaking to the simple ones. God now speaking to those that are untrained in wisdom. How long, those simple ones, will you love being simple? Because the lady wisdom in the book of Proverbs represents the way of the Lord. Represents the way that honors God. So sometimes when she speaks, it sounds like she's speaking for God. And she comes at you. She says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Everyone in here could be defined as a simple one. And that's okay. You want to, as you read the book of Proverbs... You want to humble yourself a little bit and just admit, I'm a simple one in the book of Proverbs. What you don't want to be is a scoffer, okay? So if you, if you read through the book of Proverbs, don't feel like you have to be a scoffer, but you do have to be a simple one, unless you're the one writing the book of Proverbs, which you're not. So the simple ones are those that are untrained, unexperienced, that need growth, that need to be challenged and directed more. They don't have life figured out. And so can you acknowledge that definition of simple for yourselves? That you have more to learn about life? That you still face situations in life in which you need wisdom to discern? You don't know the right thing to say and the right thing to do in any and every context. You still need some wisdom from God and some direction from others, some advice from others to make those hard decisions. If any of those things are true of you, then you are a simple one. Untrained, unexperienced, and needs more growth in life. Compared to God's wisdom, We are all, every single one of us, simple-minded because we have nothing in comparison to his knowledge and wisdom. And it's better for us to just be humble enough to admit that or we won't receive the proper direction and instruction from God. But scoffers and simple are different. Scoffers hate knowledge. They prefer their own methods. Really, scoffers hate God's knowledge and prefer man's knowledge. That's what a scoffer is. A scoffer is the one that doesn't want to learn from God or doesn't want to stay on the path of wisdom but wants to stay on the path of pleasure, wants to stay on the path of I know better than somebody else, wants to stay on the path of I don't want to be like that person so I'm not going to follow that person's wisdom. I'm going to follow my own path of wisdom and knowledge. You can be very smart, very well learned, appear humble, always wanting to learn from another and still be a scoffer. If in your intelligence, your education, your, your apparent humility, and in all of your seeking to learn, if you're pursuing the wrong avenue of knowledge, you're still a scoffer because you're trying to find the world's wisdom. You're trying to find the world's knowledge. If you pursue knowledge outside of Christ, or sorry, let me say that better. If you pursue knowledge outside of Christ over Christ's knowledge and wisdom, You are a scoffer. There's nothing wrong with pursuing knowledge outside of Scripture, pursuing knowledge, education, and wisdom from non-Christian sources. We need to glean wisdom from all areas of life, filtered through the Scriptures, filtered through a worldview that is determined and, and defined by the Scriptures first. Everything we as Christians see about the world needs to be filtered through what the Scripture says about the world, and not vice versa. We don't read Scripture through culture's eyes. We read culture through scripture's eyes. But we recognize there's good things to learn outside of scripture, within a culture, within a society. One of the things I want to draw your attention to here is verse 23. We know we don't want to be simple ones. We know we want to be scoffers. Verse 23 says, if you turn, if you turn, I think I said that wrong. We do want to be simple. We don't want to be scoffers. Did I say that right? I don't know. We do want to be simple. We don't want to be scoffers. If you turn at my reproof verse 23 behold I will pour out my spirit to you I will make my words known to you and this is the woman speaking for, for God the Father let's talk now about old testament and a theology of the holy spirit think, I think verse 23 is the spirit of wisdom is the holy spirit of God coming into people that is being said in verse 23 that the holy spirit is available but then you think about Well, didn't the Holy Spirit show up in Acts 2, right? Yes, yes, he did. In Acts 2, if you remember, that's the day of Pentecost, okay? So let's get our biblical timeline in order here. Because it's important. When we drop into the scriptures, we need to know in Proverbs, this is before Jesus. This is, they knew there was a Messiah coming. They didn't know what he would look like. There was a promise that the, the Messiah would come through David's line, through a son of David. Solomon is the king at the time. But they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know Jesus was going to die and be resurrected. They didn't know a lot of that stuff back here. They didn't really understand who the Spirit of God was. But in Old Testament times, the Spirit of God did come on people. And, on, and the Spirit of God came on people in the book of Judges. The Spirit of God came on Gideon, came on Samson. The Spirit of God came on King David. But in every one of those situations, whether the way the Spirit works in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament Scriptures, is that the Spirit of God comes on somebody. But then the Spirit of God can depart from that person as well. So what changed with Jesus? This is the beauty of the Gospel, okay? What Jesus did when he took our sin and he took our punishment for us, he created a way for us to be made right with God. And so in the Old Covenant period, there was not the opportunity for the Spirit of God to stay with people. The Spirit of God empowered people for temporary tasks, to accomplish great things. That was the activity of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, the Spirit of God dwells. Every believer in this room is indwelt by the Holy Spirit right now, meaning the Spirit of God is is very present amongst us because we're a gathering of a group of believers. So God's very spirit is here in us and in this room with us. How is that made possible? Because Jesus, the Son of God, came and he died to pay the penalty for our sin and to give us his righteousness so that now when God looks on us, he sees us as righteous and not as sinners. Jesus was risen again from the dead so that in that resurrection, he defeated death, he defeated Satan, so that you might have life and life eternal with him. And the seal the promise of that life eternal is the continuous, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You have an opportunity for an experience with the Holy Spirit that Solomon didn't have when he wrote that, that David didn't have, that all of your heroes of the old covenant period, none of them had the access and the opportunity to to commune with the Spirit that you now have. And so here, this young man is saying, if you do the right thing, then the Spirit of God will be poured out on you. And the Spirit of God will help you know wisdom. But there was always going to be the risk in the Old Covenant that if you then drift away from doing the right thing, and if you start walking in foolishness again, then the Spirit of God will remove itself from you. But here we are as believers in Christ, and you need not underestimate the beauty of this benefit. I told you, like you can drift from the way of wisdom, but you cannot drift from the sacrifice of Christ. If Christ has died for you, and Christ has risen again for you, and you've received him, given your life to him, and he has paid the penalty for your sins, nothing can stop that. Nothing can remove you from his family and from his kingdom. But you can still do yourself some damage along the way. You could be a foolish Christian. Once you're a Christian, you can't get out of the family of God, but you can make life a lot harder for yourself along the way by walking in foolishness. But the blessing of the Spirit of God is there to knock on that door, to convict, and to show you that you are walking in the wrong path. And so what do we do? When we see people we love, when we see um, believers drift from wisdom, we praise God that that spirit will not depart from them when they drift from wisdom and we pray and we we ask God to bring them back to a path of wisdom by his spirit. And once you have the spirit, you you don't you cannot ignore that spirit. You can you can quench it. But over time the spirit of God continues to work, continues to move in you. So this is our challenge for today. If you are pursuing if you are pursuing success, growth, maturity, accomplishment in this life. What road are you pursuing it on? Are you pursuing it through the road of wisdom that, that you stay on through the life and sacrifice of Christ? A wise decision making, re- recognizing, recognizing the um, impact of the sacrifice of Christ. Are you, are you staying there? Or are you pursuing worldly wisdom? There's a frightening thing that happens here. And the question is, what happens when you ignore wisdom versus what happens when you accept wisdom? Look at verse thirty. This is the frightening challenge here that the lady wisdom gives us through through God. Um, Actually, let's back it up to verse um, verse twenty eight. They will call on me and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently but not find me, because they hated knowledge. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel, despised all my reproof, and therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way. Here's another word picture here. What does it mean to eat the fruit of their way, to have the fill of their own devices? It means you reap what you sow. You know one of the scariest things that God can do to you is to just leave you alone. To just let you, let you reap what you sow. Because the sinners... Left to our own devices, the end is destruction. There is a way that it seems right to man, and its end is destruction. If God does not intervene through Christ, through the Spirit, to convict us of sin, to bring us newness of life, to cause us to respond to the gospel, if God does not intervene in that way, then for us, every single one of us, our end is destruction. And we eat the fruit of our own way, and it's spoiled and deadly scariest thing God can do for you is to leave you to your own devices and let you just deal with the consequences of your own actions. The thing that he says here, that there are some that choose to fear God too late, is sobering. Because scripture tells us that one day everyone will know who God is. Everyone will know who the king is and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But some will bow the knee and confess with the tongue and be ushered off into destruction, into torment, into punishment and condemnation for their sin. But those who choose wisdom, look at the way it ends for them. Verse 31, whoever listens to me will dwell secure, will be at ease without dread of disaster. There's a warning. Ignore wisdom and your end is destruction. But there's a promise. Pursue wisdom and you'll dwell secure. Okay, I just told you Proverbs gave you a promise. Let's talk about this. The probability of this passage is if you make wise decisions, you will be more secure in this life than a person that makes foolish and destructive decisions. But the promise here, when we invoke the Spirit of God in the passage, we end up with a promise. And that is consistent with other scriptures. So we can raise this one from the level of of probability to a promise. That it's not just probable, part one, it's probable that your life will be more at ease here in this life if you choose wisdom over foolishness and manipulation and greed. But the promise is that if you choose Christ and receive the Spirit of God, then one day your dwelling will be secure. Even if your life in this life doesn't fulfill the probability. Even if your life in this life, even if you pursue wisdom and you still experience great pain and great, great tragedy in this life, it will happen. Every, every single one of us can point to a story where we did the right thing and the end was great pain for us. Where we pursued Christ and we still lost that loved one, we still lost what we were working towards because we live in such a fallen, disastrous world, the disaster is around every corner. But the f- fulfilling promise here is that if you choose Jesus, choose the Spirit of God, then one day your dwelling will be secure. So as we close, I'll have the band come up here. The challenge for you all is how will you recognize the path that you're on, discern the path that you're on, and stay on the right path? How will you make a decision daily this week? I told you, you you don't just get to choose this once. You get to choose this every day and a hundred times every single day. It's not one decision between foolishness and folly. It only takes one decision for Jesus. But the decision to pursue wisdom is a daily decision, an hourly decision. So here's your challenge. How can you decide today to choose wisdom over the next day? And how can you decide tomorrow? to surround yourself, to put yourself in the situations that lend you towards a life of wisdom instead of a life of the world's foolishness. Let's stand. We'll praise the King who died for us.
2: Such a time. imagine to buy out this car
1: you that as a prayer to you, that, Father, you would send us wherever you're going. Father, whether it's around the world, every nation, tongue, and tribe, Father, we want to be ready to go,
2: because
1: you will send some of us, some of us even now, Father, you are calling, and we're struggling to listen, but, Father, for all of us, there's surely some person, some ministry, some act of service that you are calling us each to. So Father, help us see the fullness of your presence this week, and help us in wisdom pursue you, so that we can see what you're doing all around us, and be caught up in your will, caught up in in your work. Father, we close in worship to you, praising you, that we can now stand secure presence of God. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.